we are in the middle of an Advent series where we're trying to look and think about the wonder of Christmas to try to recapture, reclaim uh, so many times in the church, and I think we're all guilty of it at times, so many times in the church, we, we know a story, we hear a story, we know the bits and pieces, and so we are able to kind of, in some ways, go through the motions, and you wouldn't think we would go through the motions of Christmas, but we're so well-versed often in the story that we don't stop and think about what is it that we can, what can we learn different, what can we think about differently, what is it that Christ speaks to us about, and so the very first week, we, we used part of the film Miracle on 34th Street uh, to try to first just push you to think differently, to think about truth, that we can learn truth in different ways. Uh, and to encourage you to open your mind to think about things in, in a different perspective. Uh, then we looked at uh, It's a Wonderful Life, uh, tried to get you to push and think about um, how we are able to experience the gift of life uh, and for us to, to think about that in a way that offers us peace in the midst of and peace, something that God is able to instill in us, not something that we are able to, to obtain on our own. Uh, and so today I want us to think about joy. Now, I don't know if you have ever heard of something called the Happiness Project, but the Happiness Project, the author uh, is Gretchen Rubin, and, and she wrote, um, and it, this was on the New York Times bestseller list for, for quite a while, but, uh, and she reflected on kind of her own journey to have joy or to, to be someone who is enthusiastic in life. And I, I wanted to just read you a, a little uh, quote or a, a little part of her reflection. Uh, she wrote this. She said, I wanted to laugh more. I wanted to show, show more loving kindness. And I also wanted to be more enthusiastic. I knew that it wasn't nice to criticize, but it was fun. Why was it so deliciously satisfying to criticize? Being critical makes me feel more sophisticated and intelligent. And in fact, studies show that people who are critical are often perceived to be more discerning. In one study, for example, people judged the writers of negative book reviews as more expert or more competent than those who wrote positively of the same book, even if they were of equal substance and worth. Another study showed that people tend to think that someone who criticizes is smarter than they are. Being critical has its advantages, and what's more, it's much easier to be hard to please. Is that true? I mean, I, I listen to her quote, and I'm thinking, is it really much easier to be critical? Is it much easier to be hard to please? And then I resonate with this next statement. It says, it's hard to find pleasure in the company of someone who finds nothing pleasing, right? Right? It's hard to find pleasure in the company of someone who finds nothing pleasing. And then finally, she says, although enthusiasm seems easy and undiscriminating, in fact, it's much harder to embrace something than it is to disdain it. It's riskier. And so I started thinking, who would have ever thought that being joyful could be described as being risky? Whoever thought that being enthusiastic the way someone would contemplate and think about it would be that it was risky. Let me remind you this morning that joy is something that comes from God. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. Paul writes it this way in 
Galatians. Look at Galatians 5, chapter 22, I mean, verse 22. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. He is writing to the church in Galatia. He is writing to a group of people, the people of God, who kind of lost their passion. They have lost their way. And he reminds them that it is the fruit of the Spirit that is love and joy and peace and patience. In John, it says, abide in me as I abide in you, just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. I am the vine, you are the branches. Jesus says, my father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and become disciples. I have said this, listen to this. I have said these things to you so that joy may be, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. So Jesus invites us into this relationship with him, this relationship of love so that we might have joy and that our joy may be complete. Now, there's a lot of literature out there, and you've probably heard sermons preached. I've probably preached them, but you've had sermons preached where it talks about the difference between happiness and joy, and there's certainly a difference. Some would say that happiness is an emotion, but it's an emotion based on outward circumstance. So it's your circumstances change, and it can affect your happiness. But joy is also seen as an emotion, but an emotion that is based on on inward, how God works inside of you. And so you're able to have joy in the little things and the larger things, the good things and the bad things. Don't get me wrong, being happy isn't a bad thing. But we do have to be honest that it just occurs naturally when things are going well, right? We, we tend to be happy as long as things are going the way that we want them to go. But how many of you have had all of your circumstances go the way that you want them to go every day of every year? Nobody's hand is up. Amazing on that. So I would say to you that joy, a fruit of the Spirit, is something that we should cultivate. Joy is something that we should look for and strive for in our life that God can give us and grow in us. I wanted to read for you part of a psalm. If you have your Bibles, feel free to turn to Psalm 137. We're going to read just the first few verses. Psalm is in the middle of your Bible, Psalm 137, starting in verse 1. It says, By the rivers of Babylon... There we sat down and there we wept when we remembered Zion. On the willows there we hung up our harps. For there our captors asked us for songs and our tormentors asked for mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. And then the Israelites asked this question, How can we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? The Israelites are completely stripped of their surroundings. They are completely stripped of everything that supports them. They are completely stripped of their culture. They are completely stripped of everything that is familiar and comfortable to them. And so they ask the question, how can we sing praises to the Lord? In essence, how can we be joyful in this certain circumstance? And 
for us at least, we probably all have had situations in our lives where the unfamiliar developed. So we lose a loved one, somebody deeply close to us. You have your children move away. You get a progressive illness. You get a diagnosis that you don't want to hear. You get divorced or your children get divorced and you have to watch your children go through it. Somebody in your family is addicted. You lose your job or maybe you get a job and you have to move away. And we are stripped. And how can we in those moments sing praises to God? See, that's the reality for most of our circumstances. So I told you that we have, we've looked at a couple of different movies. And I don't want to, we're not going to really look at a Christmas movie today. I want to change it up for you. Is I, I want to think about a different movie. Uh, maybe a movie that you have seen and probably many of you have not. How many of you have ever seen the movie Inside Out? All right. So I encourage you to watch this movie. This is, it's a, um, basically a kid's movie for adults. Um, it's a great movie that uh, talks about emotions uh, and does it in a, a really interesting way. And so you have this character, her name is Riley, and Riley goes through and um, is, uh, lives in Minnesota where everything is comfortable. And you learn about Riley and best friend and all the activities and all of this. Uh, and then Riley's father gets moved uh, to San Francisco, and so everything is uprooted. And basically, the main part of the movie occurs in Riley's brain, which is probably why I like it, but uh, it all occurs in Riley's brain, and what you see is the characters are all of the emotions. And so you have these characters that represent emotions, and so there is anger, there's fear, there's sadness, there's joy, and all of these, how they interact with each other is basically the premise of this movie. And so Joy works really hard to want Riley to have all of these positive memories. And there's this one great scene where they draw a circle and they tell sadness to stay in the circle. Wouldn't that be great? I mean, think about the emotions. Wouldn't it be awesome if you could draw a circle around you and say, okay, all of my anger, just stay in this circle. Sadness, you stay here in this circle. Fear, you just stay here in this circle. But it doesn't work that way, right? The reality is we're sitting there crying out by the rivers of Babylon, weeping. How can we be joyful? Paul says in Philippians, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. But how do we do that? If you go and look in scripture, if you look at the word joy, when we are, a passage that you may not always think about and reflect to the word joy, it comes in Luke. And it's a passage you're probably familiar with because it's where we get the Lord's Supper. And so do y'all remember the part of uh, in scripture where Jesus is with the disciples and he takes the bread and he gives thanks 
And then he gives to the disciples and he says, take, eat, this is my body, do this in remembrance of me. Okay? Y'all remember that if you've been around, you know that? And we even say that in our liturgy for communion. Okay, so the word, give thanks, when he says he breaks the bread, he gives thanks to you and he, gives, he says to his disciples, the phrase give thanks, at the root of that word is the, is the Greek word for grace and a derivative of that is the word for joy. So joy and giving thanks and grace are all integrally linked together. So when we come together, even in the act of Holy Communion, when we come together in the act of Holy Communion, we at the center of our faith is the joy of the grace that we receive in the body of Christ. It's thanksgiving. And so when we come to the table, we're able to remember, we're able to give thanks. We're able to do this when we're with our family. Sitting around the table, we're able to remember and we're able to give thanks. We're able to experience joy. We're able to do this when we see uh, the sunrise. We're able to remember, we're able to give thanks. We're able to do this when we see the grandchildren run in on Christmas or Christmas Eve. We're able to remember, we're able to give thanks. We're able to experience this joy. This is what God desires for his people, remembering and giving thanks. We do this at Christmas because we're constantly thinking about Jesus. We're constantly thinking about Jesus coming to us, unto us. We're thinking about that. We're talking about that. We're, we're constantly in our small groups. We're at home. We're discussing uh, Christmas and all of But the other parts of the year, we tend to take that for granted. See, this gift of Jesus that is undeserved, it's this grace that's given to us, we tend to kind of start thinking we deserve it in other times of the year. And we settle for less than remembering and giving thanks and being joyful. We have to remind ourselves that Christmas, do y'all remember the very first week of the series? Christmas is a, it's a mindset. Christmas is a, is a way, it's not just simply a day. It is a day, but it is, it's an attitude. It's a lifestyle. It's a way of living as people who are remembering, remembering the grace of God and giving thanks. I will, I will remind you of this. Listen to this in Psalm 30. It says, sings praises to the Lord, O you, his faithful ones, and give thanks to his holy name. Weeping may linger for the night, but joy comes with the morning. May I suggest to you that we need how to learn to make Christmas an everyday occurrence. That we need to learn during this Advent season of how we can experience Christmas every single day. I was reminded this week as I read a passage where Jesus encountered children that I wanted to share with you in Luke 18. It says people were also bringing babies to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. When the disciples saw this, they rebuked them. But Jesus called the children to him and said, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. The scripture is not simply saying that we should value children. It's not simply saying that we should have a good kids ministry or a good nursery ministry. Those are important, and, we, and, and, and you, can, you can extrapolate that from that. But what it's saying is that we 
should be childlike, not childish. We should be childlike, that we should look at the things that we're able to learn from how a child approaches certain things. And to me, that's the beauty of the wonder of Christmas. The children are able to appreciate the wonder in ways that we simply can't. And we have to push ourselves to stop and think. The fruit of the Spirit that Paul's talking about, I think that they're, while those are the ones listed, I mean, I think you really can stop and look and go, I think there are other things. I mean, like, children are inquisitive, right? I mean, children ask questions. I have been in the church with people who have been in the church for a lot longer than me, and we're afraid to ask questions. We're just, we're, we're afraid to say, I don't know what this means. Maybe we need to approach Christmas with the inquisitiveness of children. Be willing to, to ask, what does this mean for me? What do, I, what do I learn through this? Curiosity and playfulness. These are great gifts that the Spirit can give us. Unfortunately, we come up against the obstacle of time. Time, attention, and that takes us away from being able to be inquisitive and playful and curious and joyful. I know for me, at least in my family, we love at Christmas to play board games. So last night I was talking to Latham. We were planning on when we were going to get to go up to see his house. And we were like, we'll bring a board game and we'll play a board game. And then I thought this morning, you know, we don't ever do that except at Christmas. A lot of nights, me and Claire and Lydia, we sit in our living room and Lydia's on her computer, Claire's on her phone, and I'm on my laptop, all in the same room. What would it look like if we stopped and just played a game? Think about your own life. How do you experience the wonder? the curiosity and the playfulness and the creativity. I have shared a quote to you before. I will share it again, but to me, it just always at Christmas. I love this quote from G.K. Chesterton. Listen to this. It says, it is possible that God says every morning, do it again to the sun and every evening, do it again to the moon. It may not be automatic necessity that all daisies look alike it may be that God makes every daisy separately that God has never got tired of making them it may be that he has the eternal appetite of infancy for we have sinned and grown old and our father is younger than we isn't that a great picture of God of one that is always eternally playful, eternally creative. I look and think about um, my father. My father, when I was growing up, I, I don't ever remember my dad smiling. Um, my dad had a very rough exterior, and I would say that most of my friends, most of um, my siblings' friends, probably to be truthful, most of the adult grandchildren would all say that our first interaction with my dad would be you're fearful. Not fearful like 
he's going to hurt me, just fearful of I'm staying away from him. Uh, and so that's kind of how I grew up. I watch him later now, the way he interacts with the younger grandchildren, and especially the way he acts with the great-grandchildren and then the great-great-grandchildren. And my dad, he laughs. They run and they crawl all over him as much as he can let them do. Uh, he is an extremely... Uh, more joyful person. Uh, and it's interesting because I've told you before, my dad is in constant pain uh, because of, uh, of his um, stenosis and things. And, um, but yet he, he smiles all the time. And, and I talk to him to say like, you know, do you see the difference in yourself or whatever? And, and he can even see it, but he said a lot of it just has to do with his own as he's gotten older, and some of you, you may be in this place, he, he says, I just appreciate the day more than I did when I was younger. Rather than being playful and rather than being, uh, being full of wonder, what was important to him was, was work. What was important to him was getting the things done. And so as he's, I say he's mellowed, as he's gotten older, he's realized uh, really kind of what's important. And I think that represents the possibility for us to be able to stop and think at Christmas, do we pursue the things that are important? We need to treat every day. We need to think every day like it's Christmas so that when we get to the end of our lives, because here's the truth, most everybody I've ever known that's gotten to the end of life, they've never regretted working less. It's always regret of, I didn't work on that relationship. There was somebody that I had a problem with and I never worked on that or a dream that I didn't accomplish or, or something I didn't pursue. Those are the type of things that people regret. Maybe if we play a little bit more, have a little bit more fun, uh, maybe if we have a little bit more wonder in our life, when we get to life, we will, at the end of life, we will have less regrets. We are called every day to live as people of Christmas. Think about that as you hear this last scripture. Listen to what it says in Matthew chapter 5. You are the light of the world. Now, please understand, he's talking to you. He's talking to me. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. I invite you this morning to think about your life. In the last seven days, the last 14 days, the last 40 days, you can pick whatever time frame you want. How have you illuminated the joy of Jesus Christ? You are the light of the world. How have you illuminated the transforming power of Jesus Christ? You are the light of the world. How have you shown a world that all of us, probably 100% of us would agree, needs more Jesus. How have you shown the world hope, peace, joy, 
and love. Folks, you are the light of the world. Let's pray. Most gracious God, we thank you. Lord, I thank you for just the ability to be able to be in this place and allow your Holy Spirit to move in us. Lord, I know that there are some of us in this room who, if we're honest, we haven't been experiencing your joy. We have actually bought into the the culture that it's just easier to criticize, it's easier to complain. Lord, help us. Pour your spirit over us right now and help us to experience a joy that only can come from you. Help us to know that it's from you. And help us, God, to to want to go into this world and invite people into this relationship. Help us to go and let our light shine and shine brightly. May we sing your praises everywhere we go. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.